yeah, or the United States or around the world. We're honored that you joined us. So if you've been with us the last three weeks of this sermon series, you may remember that Pastor Todd got us started by teaching us that it's our faith. It's our faith which activates God's promise. God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Uh, he keeps every promise he has made, and he uses us, regular, ordinary folks, to fulfill his promise. But just as we understand that without faith it's impossible to please God, without faith it is faith, it's also impossible for his promises to be activated. And so we play a very important part in that. Next, Pastor Tony taught us that God's promises are fulfilled through our perseverance. When we reach out in faith, when we begin to try to activate God's promises through our faith, there will be obstacles. There will be challenges. And it takes perseverance. And praise God, we have the Holy Spirit to enable us to persevere. Last week, Pastor Todd came back and he highlighted how we experience God's promises when we view his promises from God's perspective, not focusing on the obstacles, but rather focusing on God's faithfulness. Well, today you're stuck with me. And as I try to tie up this series, we'll be talking about the necessity of fully embracing God's promises, why we don't do it, why we should, and going forward, how we can. But first, a question. What is the value of keeping our promises? What is the value? It's not a trick question, and the answer is fairly straightforward. The answer is that it lays a foundation for trust and respect. When our behavior is consistent with our word, when we do what we say we're going to do, people are encouraged to build faith in us. Well, God is always faithful, and God always keeps his promises. And for that reason, he has more than earned our trust and respect. Psalm 145 and 13 tells us the following. God is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. My friends, God means what he says and God does what he promises every time he promises. The first five chapters of Joshua, and we'll be spending a lot of time in Joshua today, so if you have your Bibles, maybe open up to the 23rd chapter. But in the first five chapters of Joshua, he promised to lead the Israelites to the promised land of Canaan. Not only that, but he promised that he would deliver that land to him. God kept that promise. In the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, God promised that he would give us a Savior. He would send a Savior to us. We all know that it's Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord and Savior, who lived, died, was resurrected, which enables us to have not only freedom from sin, but eternal life. If you looked at Jeremiah and Ezekiel, you know that God there spoke about a new relationship that we would have one day with him, where his word would not only be written on tombs or on, on, on scripts, on scrolls, but it would be actually on our hearts. And praise God, we have the Holy Spirit within us right now. We don't need to go to a script. We don't need to go to a scroll. God's Holy Spirit not only empowers us, emboldens us, enlightens us, but it also brings to our remembrance his word as we take it in. Um, look, the bottom line is we have every reason to believe and have faith in the Lord because he always keeps his promises. One key promise that God made is in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6. Just let me let's set this out for you, what's going on. You may remember that there was a time when God's children, his chosen people, the Israelites, were in Egypt. They were there for 430 years, not, under, uh, not because they wanted to be there. They were enslaved. God, through Moses, he chose Moses to lead them out of Egypt 
and to the promised land that he'd promised Abraham so many years ago. But they wandered through the desert for 40 years in part because of their lack of faithfulness, because they did not honor what God said. They'd fallen to idolatry, etc. So here in Deuteronomy, Moses, who was not able to go to the promised land, he can see it, but he can't enter it, he's speaking to the person who will next take up the mantle. That person is Joshua. And what he says to Joshua are words of encouragement. God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In Hebrew 31 and 5, early Christians were reminded of this promise. They're reminded of God's promise to never leave us or forsake us. And we're told that because of that promise, which God is keeping, we're to be strong and courageous. We're not to give in to fear because of the obstacles and the challenges that inevitably come when we try to activate his promises. God is unchanging, and he is forever faithful consistently to his word, and he has more than earned our trust. But even though he's more than earned our trust, for some reason we find it difficult to have faith in God, to be faithful. We have a hard time accepting his promises. In other words, even though God is always true to his word, we are not always true to God's promises. If you doubt this, ask yourself this question. Are you always true to God's promises? Are you? If you're being honest, the answer for the majority of us will be no. And the way we manifest this is that we do not always fully embrace God's promises to us. But God is a promise keeper. And God loves us. And because of this, he wants us to trust him by fully embracing his promises, by walking into his promise. So let's talk about why we don't, why we should, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, and going forward, how we can. I think that was four. We'll first start with this. Why don't we always fully embrace God's promises? The first reason I like to talk about is that we don't maintain proper focus in life. We don't maintain proper focus in life. I told you this is going to be fast, so you've got to write real quick, which will keep your fingers warm. Let's go to Joshua 23. We're going to first start looking at verses 4 through 3, and it reads as follows. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Context. So Moses, remember, passed the mantle to Joshua because Moses was not permitted to go into the promised land of Canaan. And so Joshua was then to, as a military commander, take the Israelites in to the promised land of Canaan. And he had to do battle with those who were currently there. We call them the Canaanites. It was actually seven uh, seven tribes there. And so now Joshua is old, as Moses was old before him, before he passed the mantle to Joshua. Joshua is now old. He's probably 110 years old. That's how old he was when he died. And he sees some things taking place. And so he's trying to not only encourage Joshua and the leader, I'm sorry, encourage the leadership of Israel, but through them, all the people of Israel. And here's what he's saying. He, he, he was an accomplished military leader. We all know that if you've read uh, Joshua. But notwithstanding the fact that he was a very accomplished military leader, he glorified God. His faith and his confidence was in God and not in himself. Note that he focused on God's accomplishments and not his own when he said, you've seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. And it was the Lord your God who fought for you. In this world, we are encouraged all of us. 
We're encouraged to really glorify ourselves, to believe in ourselves first and foremost. I understand that when we have done great things, we sometimes want to feel pretty accomplished, but we have to remember that what we do, it all comes from God. So I am one of the pastors here on staff at Christ Church, but not really. I'm the fourth, and I'm a fourth wheel. That normally is a good thing. Um, But here at Christ Church, we have slots for three pastors. And so when I came about May, June, and began to serve as a pastor here, laboring with the wonderful pastors that we have, there was no room in the inn, so to speak. There was no office for, for me. And so I had a nomadic life. I would go from office to office as people were not around, they were out sick or whatever, I would sit there at their desk. Where's James? I think he's over here. No, maybe he's over here. Sometimes I was at the information desk downstairs. It was all good. But when an office became available, glory, hallelujah, Thank you, Todd Pardue, who gave up his office and built himself for himself another one. I was so over the moon excited. And I brought all my stuff that had been sticking, stuck in my home uh, to uh, that office. I got the office on Friday. By Monday, it looked like that. People came in, what? You know, because it looked so different from the way it did before. And then they noticed all those things. The degrees, like, dear God, man, how many degrees do you have? You know, yes, there's the divinity degree, but there's also a law degree, and then there's all these master degrees, and what the what? But then there's something else. Turn to the, go to the next one. It wasn't for the sake of showing people, look at my degrees. That's why I do this, to remind myself and to alert others that it's God who does great things, and it's with God that all things are possible. We focus on God. That's the key. We're to be obedient to God and acknowledge and credit him and not ourselves. James, a servant of God, not me, but the other one in the Bible who wrote to the 12 tribes scattered around the world, the early Christian churches, he shared with them a wisdom and a truth that mirrors God's will and Jesus' teachings. James chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, says this, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask but you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The fourth chapter of James addresses how we have to look honestly at ourselves. We don't do that very often. We have to really be honest and and rather than focus on our needs, instead focus on what needs to be changed in our lives, what needs to be changed in our minds, and more importantly, what needs to be changed in our hearts. James urged that when we ask God to take care of our needs, that we focus, focus enough to have faith and to have the right intention. We're not to demand our way. We're not to be prideful. Instead, we're to be humble. If you're ever ready to pray about something that you believe you need, ask yourself the following question. Does what I'm requesting, does it help myself or does it help others? Will it glorify God or will it only glorify myself? James offers that we work so hard sometimes to be friends of the world, so hard, in fact, that we become enemies of God. And when we're friends with the world, it makes it very difficult for us to hear from God. Um, And by the way, if you haven't figured it out already, a lot of people in the world aren't really your friends, uh, if you didn't know that. So here's a tip. Rather than focus on the frenemies of the world, focus instead on what a friend we have in Jesus. Let's move on to the second reason we fail to fully embrace God's promises. We have trust issues. Yes, that's why conspiracy theories have so strong a leg, right? We don't believe anything we hear anymore. And we have trust issues because people have, 
Well, they've abused us. We've had bad experiences with people who don't do what they say. Anybody not realize that we just went through a political campaign season? It was ridiculous. The attack ads were, you know, my son Colin, if you haven't met him, he is a loving boy. He accepts everybody. He just loves people to death because he is a child of God and he's a faithful servant. And I learned so much from him. But even he, if he was capable, would have tossed the television out the window and the radio right behind because it was ridiculous. People were just lying, 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 attacking, attacking, attacking. Um, back in 2014, there was a survey by the Rasmussen Report, and that survey revealed that just 4%, 4% of likely voters think that politicians keep their campaign promises. Two things on that. One, I would love to meet that 4% to find out why they believe anything politicians say. And two, this was in 2014. Can you imagine what it would be today if they did that survey, given everything we've seen? But it's not just politicians. Sometimes we have a hard time believing our family members because they're not true to their word. Sometimes it's a spouse who may not be true to their word. They may have engaged in betrayal. Sometimes it's a parent who, above all others, they're supposed to love and take care of you when you're a child, and sometimes they abuse and neglect. Sometimes it's friends, sometimes it's employers, and sometimes, sometimes it's people of faith. Let's move on from that. That's a different sermon. Another reason, the third reason why we fail to fully embrace God's promises is that we have misunderstandings about God. We misunderstand who God is. God is not like we. We can trust him. Sometimes we can't trust one another. And if we're being honest, sometimes we can't even trust ourselves. But we can always trust God. Let's go over some of those promises we've been talking about for this entire sermon series of how God has kept his promise. God kept his promise to Abraham concerning the land. Remember in Genesis, he promised to make Abraham's children a great nation. That was fulfilled in Deuteronomy and in Joshua. God kept his promise concerning Abraham's seed. You recall that in Genesis, God promised that Abraham, through Abraham and his wife Sarah, who by the way had no children and were of advanced years, that all the families of the earth would be blessed. That was fulfilled through Abraham's descendant. Jesus Christ. Listen, God loves us and he cares for us. Sometimes we misunderstand because bad things happen in life. And so we say, God must not care. God must have ordained this. God must have made it happen. He doesn't love us. That's a gross misunderstanding of who God is. God always loves us and cares for us, but don't misunderstand. He is not a genie. He is not someone that we put into a jar and place on a shelf and when we're ready for something magical to happen, we just kind of rub it off and give me this, give me that. That's not the way it is. That's a misunderstanding. Proverbs 3 and 5 tell us to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. But then there's a second part, which says to not lean on our own understanding. We have to know who God is and treat him accordingly. The fourth reason we allow ourselves to grow, uh, I'm sorry, we, we fail to fully embrace God's promise is that we allow ourselves to grow content, content, and we fail to acknowledge that there's more work to be done. Um, look at Joshua 23, 4 and 5. Um, this is Joshua speaking, again, to the leadership of Israel and thus through all, to all the people. Remember how I have, I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. 
So Joshua did, in fact, as a military commander, push into Canaan. He, he, the land was theirs. The Israelites had it. All was well. Um, in the verses 1 through 3, we saw that some time had passed since they'd gotten there, and they were at rest from all their, their warring. That simply meant they weren't actively at war, but there were still challenges. Um, this map is the map of Canaan at the time of the 12 spies, the ones who were supposed to see what Canaan was like and then report um, to Israel. It was this way even after Israel took the land of Canaan. And if you notice, there are all these ites here. They sound like gemstones, the Hittites, Hivites, Amorites, Jebusites, Perizzites, Amorites. The Canaanites were still there. They hadn't been pushed out. And so God recognized two things to be true. Thing one, they weren't happy with the fact that Israel was now in charge. And given the opportunity, they would do their best to push them out. And two, idolatry. If you read through the Old Testament, you know that one of the challenges that Israel had time and time again was idolatry. It was, in fact, one of the reasons why they sojourned for 40 years in the desert. And so God knew that they could not occupy this land with the inhabitants. So there was more work to be done. The people had grown comfortable. They were happy, but the job wasn't done. The work wasn't finished. God has a definite part for us to play in possessing the inheritance he promised to us. God promised that he would build his church. I recently had an opportunity to speak with Pastor um, John Spade. If you don't know who Pastor John is, he was our previous lead pastor. He's now our pastor emeritus. But I had a chance to speak with Pastor John about work, God's work fulfilling his promise to build the church. Let's take a look at what Pastor John had to tell us. One of the most remarkable ways we've seen God at work is uh, with the sheer growth of Christ Church, from a handful of people meeting in uh, meeting in a school cafeteria to uh, to a thousand people in worship. We've seen the explosion of what God is doing. We've seen people coming to know Jesus. We we've seen uh, uh, numerous professions of faith. We have we've seen the, the growth of the school. Uh, for the very first time, they have fresh water uh, in that village because Christ Church built a well, had it dug. And uh, we are just seeing uh, and have seen uh, God do uh, incredible things. And think about the kind of commitment uh, the people of Christ Church have had, even to the purchasing, making sure that we could purchase the house next door and uh, have the branches house there as a part of our ministry. The more we become, become sold out to the mission of the church, that is uh, uh, meeting the needs of others in the name of Jesus Christ, those, those ministries in Africa, whether it be in Mexico or wherever we happen to be in ministry and mission, and northern, right there in Northern Virginia, because many people are wondering, why in the world are you doing what you're doing? Why do you do these things? Well, we do them because we love Jesus, and because we love Jesus, we love you. And that's why we reach out. That's why we do the things we do. That's why we provide food to the homeless. That's why we, we do these things. It's because Christ has given us his amazing, incredible love. We've experienced it 
and now we want to share it with someone else. Church is the entire body of believers, of which Christ's church is just one part. And the question we should ask ourselves is, what's our role in building God's church? And the answer to that is to fully embrace his promise to do so. Fully embrace, not partially embrace. And remember that the work's not yet done. As the old adage goes, it ain't over till it's over. Uh, My friends, there are obstacles and challenges that are present today, and there'll be more going forward. Our job is to let the Lord himself address those challenges and for us to be obedient, to be faithful and attentive to God's voice. The fifth and final reason that I'll discuss today of why we fail to fully embrace God's promises is our aversion to challenge. Who likes challenge by show of hands? Oh, we have one person in the audience who likes challenge. The rest of us, not so much. We're going to look at some more verses of Joshua chapter 23. Again, this is Joshua speaking to the leadership and thus the people of Israel. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. Obstacles and challenges remain. They will always come, but the Lord will fight our battles. We should trust God to do this and not refuse to do our part because we're so busy looking at God's part, worrying about whether he'll fulfill his promise. God's already proven that he is a promise keeper. I think we should just allow God to be God, and we as God's people should be faithful to God's word and to his promise. I'd like to turn our attention now to looking at why we should fully embrace God's promise. And reason number one kind of goes without saying, God keeps his promises. Uh, My wife Patricia and I were married in 1994, and for those of you who are of a certain age, yes, it's correct, it was the last century. Thank you very much. We're old. When we first got married, I was, well, when we were dating, I was a bit of a broken person. Uh, I come from a a broken childhood with all kinds of horrendous things. There was abuse, neglect, foster care, and then homelessness. So when I met Patricia, I was not the man that I was destined to be. I was trying to get there. We were both uh, active duty judge advocates, those are lawyers for the Army, and I went to Germany and began to practice law there for the Army. Um, And I started teaching children's Sunday school uh, at at our local church. Patricia then joined me, and I convinced her to work with me. It gave us an opportunity to see one another's faith in action. Well, we had some wonderful times. There were some challenges. Um, But something interesting happened while we were there in Germany. Um, This is maybe the first or second year of our marriage. Uh, Patricia went to a a church service off post. And um, it was one of those days where there was a court martial going on. I was a prosecutor at the time. And uh, we'd both been in court martials that had gone well beyond midnight. This is one of those. So Patricia went alone. And there was a woman there who was described as a prophetess. She was a, a woman of God. She believed in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But she was given a gift of prophecy. So she touched Patricia and she said, you're going to have children. There's two. You're going to have twins. But they're going to come too soon. They're going to come so soon that you won't be ready. There'll be no time to prepare. But then she went on to talk about how the children would be fine and and gave some other information. Well, when we got back together that night and Patricia told me this, I thought it was sheer foolishness. 
And I told her as much. I didn't believe a word of it. Uh, I didn't. And uh, I didn't believe it um, when we decided we were going to start our family four years later, um, during our fourth year, I should say, of marriage. And we had Ian Joseph Lewis. He was a boy. That's not a twin. And so I get to do the nanny, nanny, poo-poo. You see, I told you the woman was a charlatan. I, I told you, and here we are. And so life was good. Um, Ian was born the picture of health. The day of his birth was wonderful, no problems. But the day following his birth, Ian stopped breathing. Uh, and Ian had to be uh, in the neonatal intensive care unit at Walter Reed, the NICU, for three to four days. And during that three to four day period, Patricia and I, of course, we were there and we would watch what was going on. We saw the tubes and the wires. We heard the beeps and the buzzes and the alarms. And we saw the other children there, mostly micro preemies and preemies. It was an interesting thing. But then Ian was released. He was fine. Life was good. A year later or so, I told Patricia, hey, I've always wanted three children. We should get started. And she's like, slow your roll. Uh, I only want to be pregnant twice. And so we agreed that we should pray for twins. You see where this is going? So we prayed for twins, and then God naturally gave us twins. We're expecting twins. But even then, I did not believe in the prophecy. I didn't believe that God's word was true. And so we were great until the 24th week of the pregnancy when Patricia began to have contractions. And she went to her doctor, and her doctor said, yeah, you're on bed rest from here to ostensibly the next few months when those children reach viability. So you're right here at the hospital. Even then, I did not believe. Even when during the 25th week, one week later, we were told that those children had to come out. Both the children to be and my wife were in danger. So I remember being there, and I remember um, running behind the caravan as they were going toward the operating room. There were two surgical teams waiting for Patricia, and, and she was there, and there was so much blood, it was, it was, it was a mess. Um, and I had my scrubs on. I was trying to, you know, hopping behind the caravan, putting on my booties. And the, the, the Patricia went through, the doctor went through. And then as I was about to go through the double doors, the doctor stopped, placed his hand on my chest and said, I need to be straight with you. Those children are on the cutting edge of viability. I can't even give you a 50-50 chance that they will survive. And then he turned and he walked into the, uh, the operating room. And he left me standing there. And that was the first time that I decided to fully embrace God's promise that he'd given all those years ago. And so I fell to my knees right there and I said, God, I, I ask for your forgiveness. I wasn't there to feel your presence on that woman, but nor did I pray and ask for discernment. So you promised, and now I'm hanging on to that promise. Well, I went to the operating room and a little bit later, the first child was born. We heard, we've got number one. That was Colin, Colin James Lewis. A whopping one pound, 13 ounces, ugh! And then three minutes later, Phoebe Hunter Lewis, one pound, 10 ounces. Uh, they were born with lung capacity, which was in and of itself a miracle. Um, they cried, they sounded like little mites. Mm -hmm. much, much lung capacity, but they had some. They spent three plus months in the NICU, the same NICU that Patricia and I had visited all those years ago. So while we were there daily feeding our children with little syringes with milk, the buzzes, the beeps, the wires, the tubes, the alarms, it was all familiar. See, God had prepared the way. He had made it very clear that his promise would be true. 
Now, they both had brain bleeds while in the NICU. Colin's far worse. That's why he's in a wheelchair. Uh, he has intellectual and physical disabilities, but he has so many abilities. He's full of joy. If you ever think that your life is, is tired and sad, talk to Colin. <laughs> he will remind you of the joy of life. Um, when I walk into a room and I can't remember why I went there, he reminds me. He's great for that as well. So life was great. God had been, um, he, he kept true to his promise. And it's something that we will never forget. Another reason why should we should fully embrace God's promise is because there are consequences. There are consequences for not fully embracing them. First consequence, missed growth opportunities. My friends, when we learn to trust God, and we begin to listen to his word, we begin to act on his word, our faith goes into action. There are wonderful things that happen, but when we don't, we miss those growth opportunities. There's missed joy. We miss out on joy. When we're not being nested in God's good and perfect will for our lives, there is always so much struggle, and it's unnecessary struggle. We miss out on the joy of our obedience to God, and then there are missed blessings. We miss out on blessings. when It's like not accepting the gifts that God offers to us. About eight years after um, the, the, the Ian was born, uh, I started feeling like someone was missing from our family. I would be either in a grocery store with the whole family or maybe sitting at dinner, and I had this overwhelming feeling that somebody was missing. And I finally decided to pray and say, okay, God, what is this? And immediately he made it clear the family's not done. There's another child that will be born in that life. Only there was an obstacle, and the obstacle was this. When we found out the challenges that Colin's life would bring him, we knew the therapy sessions, the medical appointments, all the things, and we made the decision to close the womb to ensure that no other children were born in our union because we thought it would not be fair to any afterborn children because we have to spend so much time with Colin. Did we pray about that? What do you think? No, yes, we did not pray about that. But it was a wise decision. We're smart people, so we made that choice. So we had an obstacle. The womb was closed. We had another obstacle, at least I did. Uh, if you don't know Patricia, she is so much more smarter than I. She is a hardworking woman. She was a federal judge. I have to call her the honorable the rest of my life. <laughs> so I'm going to go to this woman and say, hey, I know we seem to be all settled and everything, but guess what? But I did. But once again, God had prepared the way. Because when I told her that I believed that God was telling me that the family wasn't done, she said, James, I've been feeling the same thing. God had been speaking to her as well. So we went to talk to her doctor who insulted our old age and told us about all the wonderful things that we'd have to do with the injections and all the other stuff. And we were like, no, we just want to undo what we have done. We just want to open the womb. And we believe that God has promised the child and let the chips fall where they may. One year to the day of that reversal. Where's Benjamin? That one. <laughs> Benjamin Oliver Lewis. Could not imagine life without him. But we would have missed out on that blessing had we not fully embraced God's promises. My friends, God is always true to his promise. Are we always true to his promise? Let's turn very quickly in the short time we have remaining and talk about how we can fully embrace God's promises. Number one, be obedient to God. Should go without saying. We see that all throughout the 23rd chapter of Joshua. We have to be obedient to God's word. Number two, pray and seek discernment. Ask God what it is he wants you to do in your life uh, for the kingdom. Um, James 4 makes that very clear. And third, trust God 
Trust God. When you trust God, you can be strong and courageous as you step out in faith to activate his promise. Faith is the key, and we'll show our faith by our actions. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we will persevere through any obstacles, any challenges. And if we focus on God's promise, if we focus on God's promise from his perspective and not our own, life is so much better for everyone. Here's the bottom line. We will realize the biggest blessings when we fully embrace God's promises. God promised to build his church. God also promised that he would never leave us and he'd never forsake us. What this means is that as we use our faith to activate God's promise to build his church, we don't do so alone. God is with us. Not only that, he goes before us to prepare the way, as he has done for years and years and years with his people. Christ's church is postured so well to make disciples of Christ to transform this world. That's because of how they've embraced Christ's church for over 30 years have embraced God's promise to build his church. Here is where we teach the gospel, the good news of Jesus' love and Jesus' grace, or God's love and God's grace to all of us. Here is where we teach that. And by teaching God's word, by making sure that we're clear about what the gospel really means, we build disciples. You are all disciples. By having the wonderful programs that we have, the opportunities that are given, the small groups that people can come together and learn from, the various ministries, we raise up a new body of believers who are just strong and ready to go out and do God's will. And so we send people out to make new disciples, which enables God's church to be built, which transforms this world. The question I want you all to ask yourselves going forward is what is your part in building God's church? How much faithfulness have you exercised to date in building God's church? And going forward, what more can you do to help build God's church? We have more work to do, my friends, but I hope that you know from this four-week sermon series that God is doing his part. He always has, he always will. There is not a covenant that he's made that he has not fulfilled. And now there's another promise that we have to focus on and that's building God's church. Pray with me, please pray with me, as we talk to God about our role in all of that. Dear Lord, you are a promise-keeping and a promise-making God. You are true to your word at all times, even when we are not true to your promises. We repent of that, Lord, and we, we claim every promise that you've made. We know that you won't leave us. We know that you'll be right there beside us all, this, all the way, and there are times when you'll go before us, Lord, preparing the way so that our role is just to be faithful. Our role is to fully embrace what you've promised. Lord, as we go forward in this church, we ask that you'll make us discerning of opportunities to speak your word to our family and our friends, to show your faithfulness to those who may feel like the world is a faithless place. We pray, Lord, that in everything we say and everything we do, it will be pleasing in your sight because we'll be nested in your good and perfect will. And Lord, as we go forward, we pray that everything we do will be enabling of the transformation of this world. We pray all this in Jesus' precious name, Lord. Amen.